everybody. Jim Williams here, your host for the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm joined by the Sunshine Boys themselves. That's right, Joe Henderson, Ira Kaufman. Guys, it looks like we have a Super Bowl. The Atlanta Falcons will be taking on the New England Patriots and uh, dominant performances by both teams in their uh, selective championship games. Uh, The Falcons rolled over the Packers and uh, the Patriots had their way with the Steelers. Joe Henderson, tell me about the New England Patriots and Belichick Brady, number seven for them. Your thoughts? Well, this will be heresy, you know, uh, and I expect the ghost of Vince Lombardi to materialize over my head any minute now. Um, but this guy's the best coach ever. Let's just let's just say it. And the seven Super Bowls is ridiculous. And you know the stability that they have there. Uh, he's, uh, you know, I know a lot of people don't like him, but. He manages to keep the Patriots, even when they're not in the Super Bowl, he manages to keep them in the conversation every year despite injuries. And people forget, you know, he lost Gronkowski this year. And for a lot of teams, uh, a loss of a player like that would be devastating. He just, you know, drinks whatever it is he drinks and plugs in a replacement and and the machine keeps rolling. So, you know, Love him, hate him, but acknowledge him. He's the best. How about you, Mr. Kaufman, Ira Kaufman? Your thoughts on Bill Well, I, I, will, uh, I will weigh in on your Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, uh, Jim, who I believe you picked to uh, reach the Super Bowl. Absolutely, uh, I, I did. And I, will, I, I say it unrepentantly <laughs> that I did. Yes. Uh, now, Joe, isn't it funny that these teams that uh, end up playing uh, the Patriots in these playoff games uh, – they all look the same, outcoached and, and outmanned. Uh, Mike Tomlin has been taking a, a beating uh, nationally for having no answers. Uh, but you know what? Uh, Tomlin joins a distinguished list of uh, the Andy Reeds of the world, uh, John Harbaugh, uh, you know, other coaches who are pale in comparison. Joe's right. Uh I know people are tired of New England, Jim, but you got to appreciate greatness. We got yeah. greatness. We got we got Belichick and Brady. It's the it's the best combo ever. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever close. Uh, you know, this could be Super Bowl win number five. It would set all kinds of records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and would it make a difference if Levy and Bell didn't get hurt last week? It might have been a little closer. Right. But the is, guys, that they never stopped the, the Patriots. They never stopped them all day. Brady did whatever he wanted. Last time I looked, Le'Veon Bell doesn't play defense. And, Joe, the greatness is, you look at, you know, I filled out my old pro ballot a few weeks ago. I got towards the end. I didn't, I didn't have any Patriots on the team. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, I, I felt guilty. I put on Malcolm Butler and, uh, and one of the safeties just to have some representation. But that goes to Joe's point, Jim. Uh, you know, the sum is always greater than the parts in New England. Uh, and, of course, you got Brady at, at the tip of the spear. Uh, you got to acknowledge greatness, and, and that's what we got. Let me ask you guys a quick question uh, with regard to – well, first of all, to your point, 
on best coaches of all time. This is the seventh Super Bowl that um, you know that 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 tandem will be going to. Um, Vince Lombardi won five NFL championships and two Super Bowls. So, you know, if you're going apples to apples, and he did it in, a, in an era when it was not as difficult to win as it is now. Um, so I don't think saying that Belichick is better than, than uh, Coach Lombardi is either a stretch or heresy. I, I think it's a matter of, of actual fact. So, you know, and I, who knows how Vince Lombardi would have been able to coach in this era. I, I have no idea. But uh, interesting stuff. But one quick question in that particular game. It was early in the game. The Steelers had gotten down to the goal line. You got Ben Roethlisberger, who's six foot five, two hundred and forty-seven pounds. You got Marquise Pouncey, who might very well be the best center in football. And you don't, and you try to run it in with a back. You don't sneak from a half a yard to a yard out. Am I wrong in that? That kind of set the tenor of the game because right there the ball was, and all of a sudden, three three plays later, it was back almost to the ten. You know, Jim, uh, I'm going to go one step further. And, okay. Joe, tell me if I'm off base here, and I know you will. Uh, Jim, I think part of the problem was the Steelers didn't want to score too fast. Uh, they didn't want to leave too much time on the clock. Now, I'm not saying they didn't want to score a touchdown on right. first down. But in the back of their mind, you know, there was a minute, 50 seconds, and, and you got Brady. Uh, Joe, this guy affects everything you do. They hadn't stopped him in the first half. Nope. There was no reason to think, uh, you know, there's no reason to think that he wasn't going to score if he gets the ball again. And uh, I think that's in the back of your mind somehow, and it uh, it adds it adds to the uh, to the situation. Well, let me say this about that: <laughs> if that was indeed in the back of their mind, then whatever criticism is being leveled at Mike Tomlin is justified. You, you <laughs> score when you can score, you take nothing for granted. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, man. I, I know we've, you know, Tom Gray, uh, Brady is uh, mythical and, and all of that, but you're the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're in the AFC championship game and you're on the road. Okay. You know, you got your hands full. You score when you can score, and you tell your defense, stop him. I don't care what you know what you have to do. Stop him. So, um, unquestionably, it was mismanaged that situation. Uh, whether whether it's uh, Iris conspiracy theory or just boneheaded calls, uh, whatever. But uh, you know, you score when you can score, and, and I'm sure Mike Tomlin would agree with that. And I'm not I'm not saying that that would have changed the necessary outcome of the game. I just think that it set the tenor for the rest of um, you know the things that were going on. You don't open the door a half a crack for the Patriots. You mm-hmm. just don't do it. And especially I, I, in their especially in their house, especially in the AFC Championship game, you don't do it. And Jim's right. You don't beat them with field goals either. So that that was a significant. Uh, uh, sequence right there, Tim. You're not overstating it. Meanwhile, back in Atlanta, where they still have a stadium for another week, um, 
it looks like Ira Kaufman was a bloody genius when he voted for his MVP to be Matt Ryan. I mean, what a what an amazing guy he turned out to be there, buddy. You know, I've been talking about him, Joe, on this broadcast, on this mm-hmm. podcast since uh, November, and I never, I didn't understand this. Uh, you know, for a while there, people were saying Brady was a shoo-in. But the contest is over. I didn't understand it because I thought Ryan was playing as well as Brady, uh, and he didn't miss the first four games. I, I didn't understand that, and. I don't. I don't think Ryan played a bad game all year. Uh, there was one game against Philly of all people, where they only scored 15 points, and that was probably his worst game. But he's been sensational. Kyle Shanahan, Joe, you got to give him his props. That's why he's going to be a head coach with the Niners. Uh, a very imaginative offense, Joe. They come at you from all sides. Uh, maybe only a Belichick with an extra week to prepare, can, can slow these guys down. But, Joe, this might be the, you know, this might be the best offense we've seen since uh, Mike Marks and uh, the greatest show on turf. It, it is, uh, it's a wonder to behold right now. Yeah, it really is. And with, with all possible respect to Kyle Shanahan, uh, who deserves a lot of credit, I think you got to give it up for Dan Quinn, too. Um, this guy really has set a tone there. Um, I know they, you know, they got off to a fast start a year ago and then faded and then the Bucks beat him to open the season. And Ira, I believe uh, you gave me the shovel and I started uh, digging the hole to bury the Falcons uh, after that game, because we didn't think they were very good. And um, you know, this, that's a mea culpa on my part. I, and, and that goes back to the head coach, the head coach sets the tone, the head coach, doesn't panic. He's he believed in his team, and you know they may not beat the Patriots, but they are right now the only team that can. You know, there, there you uh, go. Uh, I think I'm more guilty than Henderson if we're going to uh, examine ourselves honestly, uh, because I said that you know they got the look of a six and ten team. Uh, I was totally wrong about the Falcons. Um, Joe Rich McKay told me after the uh, opening week loss to the Bucks that uh, it's a very, very tight locker room in Atlanta. Uh, they're going to bounce back. He had no worries about it. Uh, of course, McKay's on site. Uh, we're not. And it turns out uh, he was right. Uh, tremendous chemistry on that team. Any other year, Quinn's a coach of the year candidate. You know, this year it was totally wide open. I think Garrett's going to win it. Uh, and give him, you know, give him his props. He went 13 and three with a rookie quarterback. So uh, Joe's right. Uh, Quinn did a marvelous job in Atlanta. Well, and, and you know, if you look at it, Julio Jones is the target that everybody talks about. But I mean, they they have weapons, Taylor Gabriel and and others. I mean, this is not a team that is lack of talent. Uh, you know what's well, funny about that? You know what's funny about that, Jim, is uh, and, and they say the same thing about, um, you know, Brady and, and, and Drew Brees and look at all the targets. Well, I, I, I'm going to take an opposite tack. Um, okay. And now Matt Ryan's in that class. But mm-hmm. 
Joe, it's the quarterback, Joe, most of the time that makes everybody look like they're Jerry Rice. I mean, if Taylor Gabriel Gentleman was playing on the Niners, uh, you know, or the Rams, uh, nobody'd look twice at him. So, Jim, I understand your point, but boy, Ryan gets the ball out quick. He gets it out on time. Uh, he gets it out accurately, and, and when you do that, you, you, you give all these guys uh, a chance to make a play. Joe, I'm arguing that other than Julio Jones, uh, n- none of these guys are going to be in a, in a discussion for uh, Canton, Ohio. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, uh, I, I tend to agree with you on that. Um, but then you begin to look at how this team was put together. You mentioned uh, Taylor Gabriel. Um, you know, he, he would – be anonymous and on most other teams, I think. Uh, but a, a pretty savvy off-season pickup in Mohamed Sanu. Yeah, right. Was was a was the number three receiver in Cincinnati, uh, behind uh, AJ Green and, and Marvin Jones, and you know, kind of kind of forgotten about. But the Falcons saw that he made big plays for the Bengals when they ganged up on AJ Green. Well. You know, in Atlanta, they're going to gang up on Julio Jones. So who's going to be open is, is a guy like Sanu. So that's another, you know, he's he's not going to be in Canton, but he is going to be in the Super Bowl. And, 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 wh- and why, did you, why did your Bills understand the value of uh, Sanu, uh, Mr. Henderson? Well, you know, it's um, he's going to make a big play in the Super Bowl, I predict. I, I, I just kind of have that feeling about him. Every... Every Super Bowl, one of those guys busts out that you don't necessarily expect, and uh, he right. would be my choice. He would be my choice. Well, he could I mean, be. He go could, ahead. He could be here's David Tyree. Jim could be David Tyree. He could be. I mean, he absolutely could be. There's no question about that. I mean, there's certainly there's enough uh, fun and wonderful things to go around. There's no doubt about it on that team. There's a lot of good. Uh, a lot of good talent. I mean, there's no question about that. So, you know, let me let me throw another fine. quick thing out though, uh, and it has nothing to do with what's on the field, but it's 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 an interesting kind of juxtaposition right now to the state of um, stadiums and public financing. People mm-hmm. are looking at the Georgia Dome, which you know just hosted its last major event, and. This, the, it's a perfectly fine football facility. Ira, you've been there. I've been there. We've all been uh, there. We've all been there. I've been there for college football, pro football, NCAA basketball regionals, Final Four. It's a great location. Why does it have to be demolished so the Falcons can build a billion-plus-dollar stadium next door? And the, the thing is, it's it's what twenty some years old. It's not very old. It's it's a it's a fine stadium. What the heck are we doing? And where when does it stop? When did stadiums cross over from the million the the hundred million two hundred million range to the billion dollar range? And why should local taxpayers be expected to foot the bill? I don't get it. And, I don't either. Uh, and, and Joe, uh, is it crazy to think that uh, we might not face the same situation uh, in, in Tampa? 
in about uh, five or ten years? Joe? Oh, it's not crazy at all. And, um, you know, that I, I, I fear if that showdown ever does come, it will not end well um, because the, there's a, a big mood in the Florida legislature right now to essentially outlaw the use of public money to build stadiums. And I spoke recently with a, a prominent state uh, legislator who said, look, we can build, we're, we're government, we can provide, you know, infrastructure, road improvements, sewer, water lines, all that sort of stuff. But there's no reason that taxpayers should have to build these palaces complete with all the luxury suites and the bells and whistles so billionaires can make more money. It doesn't make sense. So anyway, I'm off my jag on that. I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, you know, to your point, and you guys, you know, first of all, um, Andy Zimblis, who's a, a friend, Andy is always hired to do these studies and, you know, say whether a stadium's worth whatever it is or um, or a, a team, for instance, he um, helped evaluate the uh, – what the actual cost of uh, of the of the uh, the Clippers were when the uh, when the NBA was trying to um, uh, figure out an amount so that it could be sold in auction from Donald Sterling, and uh, you know he came up with that situation. He's one of the most amazing people with regard to being a sports economist. He's at Smith College. Look him up, ladies and gentlemen, and that is oh, Andrew Zimbos. Andy. Yeah, Andy. Andy says that you know it boils down to uh, anyone who tells you that a stadium ever pays itself off is lying to you. And uh, because what happens is just about the time you begin to to see some light at the end of the tunnel, the stadium needs some renovations. So then you're tacking on to this money pit that never seems to to go. And specifically in the NFL, you're talking about a minimum of 10 games and a maximum of maybe 12 games. You know, so yeah, who knows? It just uh, doesn't make any, doesn't make any sense. And to that point, guys, what about, what are your thoughts on the charger move to uh, Los Angeles where frankly, I don't think they care that the, that the chargers are in town. Well, I think this goes to Henderson's point, Jim, that, uh, Maybe the, the public tide is turning. Uh, you look at Oakland, Joe, you look at San Diego. Uh, they got nowhere with the local populace. Nowhere. No support. San Diego wanted a downtown stadium next to the baseball stadium. Uh, they put it up for a vote. It, it got killed. got murdered. Uh, mm-hmm. Oakland. So my point is that uh, I don't think the Chargers felt they had any options. Joe, you know, they got uh, Qualcomm, uh, 50 years old. Now, that's a case where the stadium needs to be replaced, not Atlanta. And they got no public support. So, Joe, uh, things are turning. Uh, You know, uh, going forward, it's going to be a a difficult uh, ask for these teams uh, unless the ownership puts in uh, a – a large bulk of the money, uh, I think this could be a trend uh, going forward. Well, and, and to be fair, 
uh, in Atlanta. Um, Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner, is um, contributing, if that's the word you want to use. Um, mm-hmm. They're selling personal seat licenses. Oh, my God. Up there at $45,000 per seat for the most expensive one. And tickets are going to run the most expensive tickets, $385 a game. And um, now the, the, the financing on that, and again, I don't want to ruin the whole thing by getting into the weeds on financing, but basically when, when you juggle everything and figure out who's paying what and all that, the stadium will cost about $1.2 billion and the um, public portion air quotes is expected to be about 600 million and the way that they're paying for the rest of it is these seat licenses and uh, you know various other fees that they tack on um, for that if I'm a longtime Falcons fan and I'm a season ticket holder and now you're telling me hey you know we're moving next door and by the way, I need 45 grand up front. So th- for the privilege then of buying $385 uh, per game tickets for the most expensive seats, I'm telling you to go jump in a lake. Yeah, but Joe, Joe, be- Joe, before you go on this one, okay, and Ira yeah. as well, remember that the Falcons, like the Giants and the Jets, will finance that for you. So that's not a problem. Oh, yeah. if you don't have the 45 for them, they'll run it through their own credit system. Yeah. It's like going to buy a car at GMAC. They'll run yeah. the credit for you. Um, a revolving but, charge. Right, exactly. But if you look at the Meadowlands Stadium, and this is the same thing that's going to happen at Stan Kroenke's building in, you know, in Inglewood in California. And that is um, the, when the Giants and the Jets moved into what is now – MetLife Stadium. They both were allowed to sell PSLs. How many times can you sell the same damn seat? Unbelievable. So What's going to happen in, in with the Chargers and the Rams? The Chargers and the Rams will both have PSLs in the same stadium. Well, and, and, and to go back to go to go back to Ira's point about uh, communities, you know saying no, San Diego saying no. Um, the, the notion that it is a privilege to have an NFL franchise has been foisted on cities forever, and it becomes this, you know, they've managed to make this into your civic duty to enrich these owners even more. And uh, I do think, I agree with Ira, I do think the tide is turning. I think the NFL is, is, has become a TV sport in a lot of ways. And people like Chargers fans are probably sitting down there going, fine, I'll stay home, save the money, have the beer in my own fridge, and watch on TV. Bye-bye. And I think you're going to see more of that. I really do. Well, I can tell you from from personal experience, I know fr- have friends who were Giants and Jets fans, and they basically took the money and put it into 
you know, a nice HD TV and the whole, you know, setting up their little, you know, man right. caves yeah. or, or little stadium caves and figured, you know what, we, we're not going anymore. We just can't afford it. We can't justify it. So we're not going to go. And, you know, if the league is pricing themselves out of that business, well, then that's just what they're doing. Now, uh, gentlemen, uh, g- gentlemen, uh, let's turn to a game where the prices are quite affordable. The Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, Super Bowl One, uh, which was played about 50 years ago to the yep. date, mm-hmm. uh, where my, my Chiefs took on the Packers and played them tough for a half yep. before uh, they folded it like a cheap suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henderson, I believe uh, a, a nice uh, 50-yard uh, line ticket would, would, would set you back $15. One, I believe that is correct. Uh, I believe that is correct. Yep. And, and, and it was available. To, no, and you could walk up on the day of the event and get it. And, uh, yeah. and it they was available on Remember? And, um, it was available on two uh, networks. Yeah. Absolutely. CBS uh, had the uh, NFC, I mean, NFL and, and yeah. NBC had the... Uh, I would say, uh, Joe, I would say the cheapest face value... And I and I, uh, I stress face value. Uh, I think the cheapest face value ticket, maybe, for uh, the game in Houston, might be a grand, might be a little more than a grand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Jim. That's from fifteen dollars to a grand, uh, and that's for the worst seat. Uh, boy, we've come a long way, haven't we, uh, James? Absolutely. You know, I did an interview. Um, a number of years ago with Lamar Hunt. And I asked him about the Super Bowl. Of course, Lamar um, was the owner of your Kansas City Chiefs there, Ira. And Lamar said to me something very interesting I had never heard before. And that was the Super Bowl, they, they took two years after they established the Super Bowl to copyright the name. So for the first two years of the Super Bowl, anybody could have walked in and copywritten that name and the league would have had to pay them, you know, a king's ransom for doing it. But nobody did. Oh, so there was the, you know, there was the Super Bowl, uh, you know, with the name out there. And, and again, they forgot to franchise. I mean, they forgot to copyright it. But no, I mean, the Super Bowl, and Ira, to your point, one other thing, uh, for those of you considering heading out to Houston, it's going to cost you in a neighborhood of five to $6,000 when you factor in your airplane and your, and your um, hotel fare, because hotels that are normally going for $75, $89, $100, $150 a night are going for five and six times that. No question about it. And Jim, even if, uh, and Joe knows this, uh, you know, when the trip would send uh, Anderson and I to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we'd look to book it uh, three, four months ahead. We didn't care what the teams were. We knew right. we were going. And, mm-hmm. Joe, uh, you, you put a ring around the Super Bowl city, and I mean like a 30- or 40-mile ring around it, and all, all rooms, uh, you know, were, were all $400. I mean, that's just yeah. the way it is. Uh, and that's before well, the teams had been determined, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The NFL controls all that. 
they work right. in conjunction with the local with the local people. And they used to try to keep the prices semi reasonable and that they've abandoned all pretense on that. <laughs> so it's all anyway. out the door. Yeah. Yep. Well uh, you speaking know. Of, uh, Jim, speaking of the Super Bowl. Yes, uh, I I would uh, challenge Mr. Henderson to give us the uh template for how the uh Falcons uh are going to spring what I would call a mild upset Joe. It's only three or four points. Uh Give me the case for the Falcons, Joseph, in uh, NRG Stadium. Well, they got to put Tom Brady on his back. That's well that's said. how you do it. And well that's easier said than done, of course, but it starts there. If Brady has time, Falcons don't have a chance. And I think the Falcons will make plays, but the Patriots' defense, as we know, is has been – uh, undervalued most of the year. And I think they, they showed against uh, Roethlisberger and the Steelers last week. Everybody was going, ooh, Big Ben, he's this, he's that. Uh, he's home. <laughs> and um, so that's it. If, they can, if they can force Brady, make him uncomfortable, put him down a couple of times, uh, they have a chance, a good chance. You know, uh, uh, Jim, that, that yeah. is the uh, conundrum. Uh, that's the first time I've used that word on this podcast, gentlemen. Conundrum. Ding, ding, uh, ding, 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 ding. Yes, there you go. A very prescient of you. <laughs> I can't stop. I can say it. Uh, Jim, that, that is the problem. Um, mm-hmm. Jim was right. The only time Brady struggles, a la the Giants twice in the Super Bowl, Denver last year mm-hmm. in the title game, uh, is, is when he's under siege, Joe. But Normally, you can't get there with four guys. And, Joe, when you blitz and you don't get there, now now you're in man coverage. It's all over. So if, yeah, if, it's if all you, over. You know, if you try to get that pressure, Jim, by bringing extra guys, you, you better get there. Hey, Ira, the game's in Houston. Uh, would the Falcons be able to borrow Clowney for a, a, week, a day, or is that out of the question? <laughs> And uh, maybe a healthy J.J. Watt. Yeah, you know, they're in town. Why not? I mean, come on. I thought, Joe, I thought Atlanta's pass rush was was pretty good uh, against Aaron Rodgers. I did. Um, And pretty good against Russell Wilson. Um, You know, this is not the steel curtain, Joe, but uh, Atlanta's defense uh, is is a lot better than uh, last year. Uh, This kid, Beasley, uh, made a huge jump. People thought he was a bust. He had 14 sacks this year. That answered mm-hmm. most critics. Uh, so they mix and match, but ultimately, I think we'd all agree, Brady has seen it all, gentlemen. And uh, he's now got two weeks to break down the Atlanta defense. Uh, it's it's going to be a tall order. He's okay. also got two weeks to think about what it's going to be like uh, to stand on the podium next to Roger Goodell. Right. Oh, boy. Oh, you boy. reach over and hand him some money. Um, yeah. The, um, quick question on this, guys. Um, talking about Brady, he's 39 years old. Does he retire? No. Absolutely Even if he wins. Not, Jay. Absolutely okay. not. So what, he's going to be Satchel Page and play to his 50? Well, the, um, the, 
Patriots are already talking about trading Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. So I think there's your answer. Uh, okay. He's playing as well as he ever has. He's got a lot of good fun. No, I'm not. I'm just saying. I mean, he's 39. I'm just saying. That's all. I'm not I'm not advocating that he do it. I'm just asking. No, he's, no, he's not beat up. Um, he's got mileage he's, on him. You know, a little bit. But why would you leave that situation? And plus, he's fresher this year. He, he missed four games. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So, so, so he's sticking around. All right. Cool enough. Hey, all right. We talked a lot about feetball there. Um, got a few minutes. And Joseph, um, you were talking a little bit about college hoops. And it's been a wild week in the top 25 in college basketball, to be sure. Well, let me just say this about that. <laughs> Why in the world we pay any attention to uh, ranking? is beyond me because college basketball uh, has a very good answer to how teams should be ranked and it's how they finish in the NCAA tournament. Having said that, has there been a night in recent memory like we saw on Tuesday night when number one went down, number two went down, and number four went down? I mean, you know, at this rate, you could put all of these, uh, probably a half dozen to, to maybe even eight or ten teams in a hat and pull them out and make a case for any one of them to be the national champion. It, it was an astonishing night last night. Marquette coming from way behind to beat Villanova. And then West Virginia just running Kansas off the court. and. Uh, Tennessee knocking off Kentucky. I mean, what a night. It, it, this You can tell we're getting into the real fun time of the basketball season, and, and uh, I'll be tuned in uh, most nights to watch. Ira, uh, um, go ahead. Uh, I, I, got, I got to say, Jim, you know, look, I used to follow the NBA very closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I don't because uh, my Sixers haven't been relevant since uh, – Allen Iverson uh, got run out of town. That's a long time ago. But, uh, Joe, uh, in large part, the NBA is unwatchable, in my opinion. Unwatchable. Um, It is that uh, kids that come into the league uh, uh, have not stayed in college long enough. They're not ready. They don't have any fundamentals. Uh, The same, you know, three or four teams have a chance to win a, a championship. So here comes college basketball, Jim, uh, mm-hmm. wide open. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, the day after the Super Bowl ends, uh, all eyes are on college uh, basketball. Uh, that's their time. That gives them about two months of the sports calendar uh, before baseball starts uh, to uh, really capture the public's attention. And we know the attraction of the uh, – of the NCAA tournament. I'll throw this out to Mr. Henderson. Uh, Joe, this notion of the uh, conference tournament, uh, you talk about uh, an anachronism, you know, that's, uh, whose time has passed. Joe, do we really need the ACC and the SEC tournament uh, 
to really uh, prove anything in, in March, uh, or is that date passed? You know what? I mean, it, it would be popular to uh, to go along with your stance that they've outlived their usefulness. But do you know why I like them? Okay. It's because because um, that is where Cinderella comes from. And the NCAA tournament would not be what it is without the Cinderella's. So, you know, when people sit there and scream that, oh, it's terrible, a team with eight wins got hot at the right time, won their conference tournament, and and took a a bid away from a a more deserving team, baloney. You know, it right now, arguably (laughs) – the worst one, certainly one, if not the worst men's basketball team in the country is right here in Tampa with the university of South Florida. <laughs> They're horrible. And they fired their coach. Murray Bartow is doing his best. God love him. He's out there coaching his buns off, but they got no, they got nothing. Right. But they can go to the AAC tournament. I'm not saying they will, right. but they could. And do like UConn did uh, a few years ago, where UConn was a stretch to even make the tournament. And, whoa, they ran through the Big East, winning, what, five games in five nights? Yep. And didn't stop until they won the national championship. So go, go, go. I love the conference tournament. Or, or for that, that matter, to, you know, Jimmy Laranega's um, George Mason team. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, you can you, every year there's there's somebody that comes in, and I'm sorry if you're if you're the uh, the ninth team in the Atlantic Coast Conference or the tenth team, and you lose a bid because Winthrop got hot, and uh, or or no, that wouldn't be right because that that would only be a one bid league, right? But because okay. you know. Somebody got hot and took your took your uh, took your bid away. Well, too bad. You know, you know go go win the NIT. But I think I think we have to give a shout out here to Leonard Hamilton and what he's done at FSU. I mean, uh, he's established FSU as Larry Nega's done a pretty good job down in Miami. As um, you know, it used to be Billy Donovan's Florida Gators and and everybody else in in the state and. Uh, I think now that uh, Billy's moved on, the Gators are still relevant. They're still in the top 25. But, you know, Leonard Hamilton seems to be able to do it time and time again. Yeah, he really he really has. And they, they just completed a stretch where they played six uh, consecutive strengths and won five times. And they're, they're one of those teams that – they're going to probably be somewhere in a, around a three seed, I would figure. And, you know, don't go to sleep on them because they they can beat anybody on, on any night. They're, they're really good. They really are. I think the, I think the difference this year, guys, is, uh, you know, they've always had a lot of athleticism, yep. Seminoles, um, but they didn't play smart basketball, winning basketball when it counted. Mm-hmm. And this year they got a lot, they got a lot more poise. Uh, they're 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 well schooled in the fundamentals, uh, and that will make them a dangerous team.
game uh, in March. In tournament time, yeah. Well, and you know, uh, shout out too to UCF. I mean, they've they've done a very nice job in the AAC this year. Yeah, they really have, um, and that's yeah, that is a team that when I'm talking about teams that go in and and rob a bid, quote, quote air quotes, rob a bid from one of the uh, the so-called major conferences. UCF could be a team that would do that. They probably, at this point, you would say, well, they're not going to be in the uh, in the in the in the tournament in the field. But that's a team that could get hot, go in, run the table in the conference, and voila, they're all of a sudden uh, they're in the dance. So, you know. Uh, well, they're at fourteen and five, which isn't a bad place to be. Yeah, but you, but you got to look at at also the strength of schedule and sure. and and how many bids is the AAC going to get this year? Not that maybe uh, three. The, the comp, yeah, Cincinnati's going to get one for sure, and and maybe maybe three bids overall. And at this point, one of those would not be UCF, mm-hmm. but we're still in January. There's a right. lot of hoop to be played. So, um, you know, I'm, that's, that's a team to keep an eye on for sure. Absolutely. All right, guys. Um, it's come to that point in time, a little social media, a little final call. Ira Kaufman, you get, you get first on final call, some stuff that you're going to be paying attention to this week. And, uh, and things that people, that things that you think people should be attention, paying attention to, plus your social media. All right, Jim. You can catch me on uh, Twitter at ikaufman76. Gentlemen, as we speak, I will be leaving for Houston uh, in one week to uh, join the the, the, the thirty five hundred other media members uh, at the Super Bowl. Um, and Jim, I believe as much as the Patriots and Falcons, I will be on a mission, gentlemen. And that mission is to uh, push John Lynch across the doorstep of uh, the Hall of Fame. This is his fourth year as a finalist. Uh, this is not an overwhelming uh, cast of uh, uh, characters for the finalists. And this is the year for John Lynch. Joe, you know how serious I take this because I know how serious the players are about it. And uh, I expect you guys to wish me luck. And uh, I'm gorgeously optimistic that uh, that this thing is going to happen. Sounds like sounds like a good deal. Sounds like a well, a very good deal. All right, you um, you can find me at the initial J Henderson Tampa on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And Ira, you better be successful. I'm calling you out. You better be successful. John Lynch deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. Um, one thing I will not be doing this week is watching the Pro Bowl. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I've got to clean out the lint trap on my dryer. Um, but uh, the, uh, let's give a shout out. We we fell all over ourselves a little while ago praising Belichick for his consistency, right? Mm-hmm. The UConn women's basketball team oh my God. has won 94 games in a row 
and have not lost since November 2014. Is, Think about uh, it. Is Gino Oriana just kind of sitting back in a lounge chair and watching? I mean, does he have well, to coach anymore? I mean, I've, it's amazing. They they beat USF South Florida yeah. a couple of weeks ago to. Uh, pull within one of the record, I think it was. USF is a ranked team, which has only lost three games, mm-hmm. right? Yep. One of them was to UConn by like a million points, whatever it was. It was a, it was ridiculous how bad that score was. And you know, these guys are going to win a hundred games in a row. Let's just say it; they're going to win a hundred games in a row, and. It is people will mock women's basketball and say, well, you know, there's only, you know, you know, just a handful of decent teams and Gino always gets the best players. Yes, he does. And he knows what to do with them. And here's the thing about UConn is they don't ever get caught napping and that's coaching. Uh, So shout out to Gino. Um, he doesn't always get the credit he deserves, but that that's an unbelievable streak at this point. And we, we really should acknowledge that. I think that um, Brenda Freeze, who's a buddy of mine from the head basketball coach on the women's side of the University of Maryland, and Brenda said to me a couple of times that, you know, I don't know what he does. We We lost – it's the only team that Maryland has played consistently over the last 10 years that they haven't they don't really have even one win over them. Um so no. She just she just says uh, you know there's there's college basketball and then there's Yukon. Um, yeah. And that's basically how she looks at it and I'll take her word on that one. Uh she doesn't need me chiming in on uh, on that aspect. I think there's no question, Gino. You know, we were talking about Belichick being the best, as you said. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing like Gino has done with with the women's game, and the women's game is a very competitive game. So to do that as long as he's done it is 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 scary good. He's she makes Absolutely. John Wood look amazing in that regard. Absolutely. And Joe, you gave your social media out there, bud. I did. I gave it. Okay. At the uh, initial J Henderson Tampa, Twitter. I, I think I rather than watching the Pro Bowl, as Joe has said, um, which is going to be played in Orlando, and we hope that everybody who's in the Orlando area has fun doing whatever you do during the week before the Pro Bowl. But anyway, uh, I'm going to be paying attention to the 24 hours of Daytona, and I'm doing that simply because at this point in time, it's the 55th anniversary of the race. It's a race where people, for the first time, if you're a sports car nut, uh, it's the first place, the first time the people in the United States got to see Jaguar was there. The first time they saw Ferraris, it was at that race. The first time they saw the Shelby Cobras, it was at that race. There's a the the number of iconic race cars that made their debut in what is incredible, one of the most incredible races in um, in the world, not just in the United States. That we are lucky enough to have two of them in the state of Florida. One's at 12 hours of Sebring, the other's 24 hours of Daytona. So it's all good. It's all fun. And if you get over a chance to get it over to see it, 
do it. If you don't, uh, Fox has it. Fox Sports One has it during the weekend, and it's a it's a great place to be and a lot of fun. So, anyway, for Joe Henderson, Ira Kaufman, I'm Jim Williams, and we hope you enjoyed this edition of the Sunshine Boys. Take care. 